Welcome back, listeners. We are back for another episode of The Spirit of Haggard. And true to form, we've got another amazing member of the Haggard family with us today, Dr. Rachel Thomas. And we're going to talk very specifically about your role, Dr. Thomas, as the equine ambulatory veterinarian. You are pretty early in your career, so I'm excited that our listeners are going to, you know, kind of get your journey within the first couple of years out of vet school, and we'll talk about some of those experiences and how you got where you are today, and we're anxious to learn a little bit more. So uh, I am Jody Lynch Findlay, your host. I am a student coach, speaker, and now podcaster. And so let's jump right in and learn a little bit more about Dr. Rachel Thomas. Great. Let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. (laughs) Tell us about you. Yeah. So I graduated uh, from Auburn University in 2019, and I've been at Haggard ever since. I did my uh, field internship starting in 2019 through 2020 and uh, stayed on as an associate after. So awesome. that's kind of where I'm at now. Where you are now. So that is, that, and, and like I said, early career. So that's, yeah. you remember the, the details of what it took to get here, right? Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, far enough along to have some experience as a practitioner, but still not so far removed that I don't very distinctly remember what it was like as a student, like both getting into vet school and then like finding a job after vet school. Yeah, I empathize a lot with the students and I try to give as when we have externs come through, I try to give as much advice as I can, like concerning what I found worked for me at the time. Yes, that transition. I love to talk about the transition from student to professional, right? And there's a lot that goes into that and the difference between your freshman year versus your senior year and then taking, getting into an internship. But I want to, Dr. Thomas, let's, let's back up even further. So tell us where you came from and who Rachel was as a little girl. Like, so get us, <laughs> get us to vet school and then we'll talk about vet school. All right. We'll start real early. So I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, but grew up mostly in Birmingham, Alabama. That's where most of my family is from. And from the time I can remember, my favorite animal is always horses. Okay. Uh, we didn't always have like the budget to have our own horses, but um, my earliest memories was we had a, a, a cousin that lived in South Alabama that had an old retired horse that belonged to her daughter. And I remember when I'd go down with my dad when he went on hunting trips, I always was like, can I go ride him? And I mean, they just put me on his back and lead him around. But that was yeah. one of my favorite parts then. That's how we. That's how it starts. Exactly. The crazy horse girl life starts right there. Absolutely. And then kind of intermittently took riding lessons um, over the years. And then when I was... Um, in high school, my uncle got several Tennessee walking horses. Okay. Um, my dad is very into the like English pointer and English setter, like quail field trials that are run off of horseback. Oh. And they do most of those off of gated horses um, because they might be riding all day long. And so it's a lot more comfortable. Yeah. And they can just kind of, most of them are very push button horses, so to speak. Yeah. So very easy. And I always loved going with them because it kind of combined, like, I love dogs too. Horses are my favorite, but dogs, cats are very close seconds. So um, most of my high school was spent around those horses. Fascinating. Yeah. That's really unique. It Um, is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something I've never even seen before. Yeah. I usually have to kind of describe it a little bit to people, but it's really cool. They'll do like two dogs at a time and they're, I kind of describe it a little bit as, um, similar to fox hunting, but not really. Okay. Um, the dogs will be out in, you know, these big fields, usually these large plantations and um, the deep south, and they'll be looking for quail, and they're supposed to point the quail, mm-hmm. and um, they're supposed to hold the point while the handler flushes it, and then they'll have, like, a little pistol with a blank because the point is really the dogs, and um, so they kind of simulate hunting, but they're not really trying to get okay. any of the birds, but... I loved it just as much, if not even more, because I got to ride a horse all day long while that was going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems like a good day. It was great days. I miss it. I haven't haven't had time to go down to one in a while, but lots of fun. (laughs) 
So you did that through high school. Yeah, did that through high school. And um, also in high school, I shadowed some small animal veterinarians. Okay. And also kind of from the time I was really little said I wanted to be a veterinarian as well. Um, so I kind of had both of those. I wanted to be a vet and I loved horses. I don't know that I necessarily knew that I wanted to be a horse vet right away, but I went to Auburn University for undergrad where I majored in animal sciences because I remember talking to advisor, an admissions advisor, and they're like, yeah, well, you can really be any major that you want to be to get into vet school as long as you meet the prerequisites. So a lot of people, you know, do biology, but they're like, I mean, if you do animal sciences, then you're going to have a lot more hands-on with those animals, which I really appreciated and enjoyed. And so I was technically pre-vet track, but I did as many of the equine courses as we had. Okay. And that's kind of where I started learning that as much as I loved riding horses and being around horses, I also really enjoyed working with them, which I think is important. If you're going to go into equine practice, you should definitely know that you enjoy working with horses and not just like the fun parts. Right. um, Because they can be very different. Yeah. Um, It's a little different than dogs and cats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But actually my freshman year, we had an animal sciences spring break trip that went up to Lexington. Okay. And we did a lot of industry tours. It was largely focused on equine, but Uh, We did see other aspects of animal agriculture, like uh, some cattle farms, some swine operations, more like heritage stuff. There's not a lot of swine in Kentucky, um, but a lot of like the horse farms and really funny, we did a tour at Haggard. Okay. And I remember just being blown away by how cool it was like you know so big seeing like the medicine seeing surgery learning about the way that they did things and that's kind of when I was and learned that they had undergraduate uh undergraduate internship programs okay which at that time I was like yes this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna do one of the undergraduate internship programs and funnily enough I ended up not doing an internship at Haggard in undergrad. Okay. Um, I did end up doing an internship at Kesmark, Kentucky Equine Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation Center. Yes. Um, the spring of my junior year. Okay. And honestly, the determining factor there was that was an unpaid internship. And I had a scholarship that would give me a stipend for an unpaid internship, but I couldn't use that scholarship money if I had done Haggard's because it was paid. Okay. So those are, that's a great point, right? Yeah. For our student listeners, you know, these are the decision makers along the way. So I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I wanted to talk about Kesmark at all. So I do want, I want you to talk to us about that experience also. Oh yeah. Do you want me to go into it now or do you want to kind of finish the journey? journey. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Um, So I did that and that really cemented that I enjoyed working with the horses on a daily basis. And I got a chance um, some of my days off to shadow um, one of the equine vets that would come to Kesmark and yes. he did more of their GP stuff, I would say. Okay. Um, so for our listeners, just, we, I always like to clarify all the acronyms when we say GP. GP is general practitioner yes. or ambulatory. Yeah. So okay. he basically wasn't specialized, does a little bit of everything, which is basically what I do now. Um, and so riding along with him, I really appreciated what it was to be an ambulatory equine veterinarian. I loved that he got to go to different farms. Um, He did a lot of repro work at that time because it was spring, Kentucky. That's a lot of what you do as a vet. And I liked the variety, just like you're not stuck. hate to say stuck. That sounds a little negative, but it's how I feel a little bit. Um, Like stuck in a clinic setting all day, right. especially like some of these small animal clinics, like there might not even be windows in the treatment room. And so I enjoy just the change of scenery constantly. Yes. Kept it very interesting and very, I think, engaging. Yeah, that's awesome. And so we've, we've heard that in some of our previous episodes from some of your colleagues as well the opportunity to be outside, the opportunity to remain physically active. And so some of those things that that do look just a little bit different on the equine side of vet vet. Yes. And that was 
in addition to the love for horses and knowing that I worked with the horses, that was definitely a big determining factor, I feel like, in deciding that equine medicine is the direction I wanted to go. Because I do enjoy, or I did enjoy all the experience I got in small animal medicine. I did uh, work at a small animal clinic during undergrad and part of vet school. Um, so I felt like I had a good foundation in that knowing what that was like. And I felt like I could definitely do that. But as soon as I got a glimpse of what the equine medicine was like, I knew that that was what I wanted to do was the horses. Awesome. So I went back, finished my senior year of undergrad and, uh, you know, at, in that time applied to vet school and I was fortunate to get in on my first go round. There's plenty of practitioners that might have had to apply once or twice, you know, two or three times. Right. And I think everybody's journey is individual. And I think, you know, once you get into vet school, once you graduate, I think we're all different, but just equally qualified. And yes. um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with taking multiple tries to get into vet school or getting in the first time. Um, sometimes I looked back and I was like, man, I'm almost a little jealous of my classmates that like went and got masters first, but this is what worked out for me. Yes. This is your journey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's a little different for everybody. And so I think it's really important just to remember not to compare yourself too harshly to others and their journey, because what works for them might not work for you. And, um, I love that. Yeah. I, I think it's so important, you know, and as we get really real here, right, talking yeah. to our audience and knowing that we are getting all these questions and, and interest from students, thank you for sharing that. I think it's it's really important. I think it was really helpful as a student myself to see that, you know, I like to ask, you know, veterinarians that I shadowed with or spent time with. I always really enjoyed kind of learning their journey, just like we're talking now about mine, because I got to see that people came from all walks of life. People had different journeys that they took to get to where they were. And so I knew that, okay, if mine doesn't look exactly like my friend who's also applying, then it's going to be okay. It's not a big deal. Like it'll all work out how it needs to in the end. Yes. Fantastic advice. (laughs) Soak it in. Soak it in. Yeah. Let's pause for just a minute to hear from our friends at Bymeta, our Spirit of Haggard podcast sponsor. Bymeta might just be the largest animal health company you have never heard of until now. Bymeta Animal Health's equine products have been trusted by veterinarians and horse owners since the 1960s where our Irish roots began. Bymeta is one of the largest producers of dewormers for horses like Equimax, Bimectin, Duramectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes rely on polyglycan, a patented formula designed to replace lost or damaged synovial fluid, and Confidence X 1% pheromone gel that reduces and prevents equine stress, to name a few of our branded products. We encourage you to consult with your equine veterinarian before using any equine products for your horse. Also, please visit buymetaus.com to learn more about our full product offerings and where you can buy them. So we got into vet school. Yeah. And- so got into vet school, went to Auburn University and um, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I will say that as much as I love Auburn, my number one reason for choosing Auburn was that it was my in-state school. That's another piece of advice that I heard as a vet student or as a pre-vet student, really, and also like to give to people is that all of the accredited schools are equally qualified. You know, some may be ranked higher than others, but everyone who graduates is a veterinarian um, and has the same opportunities as everyone else. And really, especially with the cost of a veterinary education these days, I think the smartest choice is that if you're able to go to your in-state school, do that because in the long run, you're probably still going to have student debt. I think most of us do, but hopefully it should be less. Right. (laughs) And uh, not be maybe quite as big a burden as uh, when you, you know, those who went out of state and had, you know, maybe even double what I have. And what I have is not a small number. (laughs) Yes. And that is, I think that's one of the number one challenges, objections, Um, points of concern for students who are interested in veterinary careers is, you know, really addressing that financial burden and what that looks like and how you survive, you know, the transition from vet school to 
a veterinary career and managing that debt. So I agree. I think that's, you know, really good advice to think about it, plan for it and have conversations about it. Yes, definitely. Have conversations about it. Ask about it. There's a lot of different repayment programs that they have now. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of different, you know, once you get out or into school and then out of school, there's a lot multiple different, I feel like, philosophies on methods of paying that debt back. Some people want to, you know, maybe live very frugally and pay it all back as quickly and as soon as possible. And then others are planning for potentially going with the income-based repayment programs Mm -hmm. and, you know, just kind of planning on investing and saving for that forgiveness. And I know things change, uh, policies change. So it is, a little scary sometimes planning for that, but my advice would be just go with whichever one gives you the most peace of mind. Yeah. For me, being able to feel like I'm finally leaving living a quote unquote grown up life yes. and not have to skimp as much and you know scrape it like I did as a student. Um, you know, not spending exorbitantly, but being able right. to live comfortably to me is a little more important and gives me a little more peace of mind than trying to pay it off as soon as possible. Right. Yeah. Great advice. And, you know, so I I just want to make sure that our listeners are hearing that to have those conversations with those folks that are a few years, five years, 10 years ahead that have worked through some of this. So really great advice. It's doable. Yeah, it's doable. It's doable. And definitely a lot of schools now, I think, will have financial advisors come in and give advice. Like I said, some of them have different philosophies. So one might come in and say something different than the others. But I think seeking out those professionals is also really helpful for determining how you want to address that, you know, once you've decided and committed to going to vet school, because that is definitely something to consider. But you know, hopefully it's not too much of a deterrent for most future veterinarians because it can be a little scary to think about. Right. Yeah. um, It's worth it. To me, it is definitely worth it. I'm doing what I want to do and I love what I'm doing. So definitely worth it. Good. Yeah. We don't want it to be a deterrent. (laughs) Pursue your passion and call on the resources that you need to to help and support that. Yeah. Definitely make it an informed decision, but Hopefully it's not a deterrent. Yes. Okay. So here we are, your War Eagle. Yep, War Eagle. War Eagle. So tell us about that experience through through Um, Auburn. Auburn was great. I loved being at Auburn, and I had an advantage being someone who was already there. I already knew the lay of the land. Yes. Um, But I was involved with our student chapter, AAP. Okay. Um, Mostly as a member, I didn't do any leadership with that program, but I was also really interested in reproduction. So I did participate and was a uh, officer in our student chapter for the SFT, which is Society for Theorogenology. Um, Theorogenology being uh, the study of animal reproduction for those who maybe haven't encountered that term yet in their career. (laughs) Um, So I really enjoyed that. And I uh, actually went to the SFT convention meeting that they had every year with some of my classmates. And I felt like that was really important for both getting to know some of my classmates and getting a little bit closer with them, as well as just having something that wasn't strictly academic, but also still connected me and was also great for networking. I feel like, you know, meeting people at the conventions and having speakers who would come in and talk. So, you know, Not everybody has to be an officer of a club and you don't have, by far, you don't have to be involved in every single club, although a lot of them provide free lunch. So (laughs) talking about that financial interest, you can be a member of several of them and you can still go to the meetings and get the free lunch and an interesting talk, even if it's not one that you're quite as involved in as, say, the one that piques your interest the most. Yes. Perfect advice. We like free (laughs) food. We need to network, so we're, we're yeah. finding friends and finding food. Exactly. Yes. Perfect. I like it. Yeah. So I, like most equine students, started planning for externships. Okay. Um, because I was planning on doing an internship. 
I think there's plenty of people who don't do internships and go to equine practice. And I think that's very, very brave of them. (laughs) I really, the reason I wanted to do an internship was that I liked that idea of having the structured mentorship as well as going somewhere with a high caseload. Um, Auburn is great, but in an academic setting, the caseload can be a lot lighter because we definitely take our time working through them. Um, So I wanted to have kind of that more structured experience of handling a wide variety of cases that maybe I just, as a student during that rotation and didn't have a chance to see a case like that. Somebody else might have, but it was a little bit luck of the draw there. Right. So I um, started planning for externships for places that I knew that I might want to do an internship at. Okay. Externships really are about, I think, getting good experience, exposure to cases, because like I said, typically private practices have a higher caseload. So you'll just have an opportunity to see more, as well as if that's a practice you're interested in interning at getting a feel for what is the practice like, what is their practice culture like, an opportunity to see how they treat their interns. Do the interns enjoy the job? Would the interns recommend the job? Um, So I started planning for that. I did one at a practice in Tennessee between my uh, second and third year. Okay. And then Auburn allows us to take, or at least when I was there, I don't know if it's changed, allowed us to take two externships during our clinical rotations in third and fourth year. So I planned uh, to do my externship at Haggard uh, during the spring when I knew it would be busiest. And I loved it. It was a blast. And did an externship at Haggard. And I had it back to back with an externship at another local practice, like in Lexington, because I knew I just wanted to be in Lexington. It's very interesting to compare and contrast how the different programs worked, yeah. um, as well as just get to see lots of mares and lots of babies, which are two things that I like a lot of. <laughs> yes. No shortage of those in Lexington. No, definitely not. If you're interested in mares or babies, come here. Yes. <laughs> so I you know, really enjoyed both of those experiences and applied to multiple Uh, practices. And it's kind of funny because at the time uh, there was another clinic that it was really neck and neck, but I just barely wanted to go to that one a little bit more than Haggard for my internship because I had a few more personal connections at that clinic. Um, But Haggard offered me a position first. I reached out to them and they were the other clinic reached out to them and they're like, you know, we really like you, but we're just not taking on as many interns this year. So, you know, we wish you luck. Haggard is a great practice as well. So there was no resentment or hard feelings there. And so I told Haggard, cool, I'm coming. So it's kind of full circle considering that trip to Lexington and that tour of Haggard was initially what kind of got me geared towards Lexington at all. Yes. Um, And that's turned out to be a wonderful choice. I think in the end, Haggard ended up being exactly where I needed to be. And I've really enjoyed it here. Oh, I love that. And, you know, like, it's so, it's so fun to talk about this. You know, we both have these big smiles on our faces because we can look back and we just know those moments where we're like, here's, here's where we belong. Yeah. You know, here's where we belong. So um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I, Accepted the internship at Haggard, and I came and did that. Um, It was a lot of fun. I think there's already been a podcast talking about the structure of the internship. So I probably don't have to go into the minute details of how it's scheduled, but yeah. So um, our listeners can, can find that if you haven't listened to previous episodes, you know, certainly go back and do that. And then, you know, the Haggard website is, is a great resource if if they're looking for some additional details on those externships and internships. But yes, absolutely. The website is definitely the way to go. So yeah, I came for the internship. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed that I got to work with multiple doctors. I liked that I was assigned a mentor, but informally still had several other doctors that I ended up working very closely with as an intern. So they might not have been my you know, formal assigned mentor, but yeah. definitely developed a mentorship 
relationship with them, which I still utilize to this day. Uh, I think my go-to phone a friend is Dr. Caitlin Fletcher (laughs) (laughs) because she was far enough in her career at that point that, you know, she was very independent, you know, knew what she was doing, easy to go to for questions, not as intimidating sometimes as it felt to call maybe the more senior doctors. The more senior doctors are always happy to help. Um, but there is just always that, well, this person's a little bit closer to being my peer. So especially if I feel like this is a quote unquote stupid question or an easy question (laughs) that I don't want to admit to needing to ask to one of the older doctors, I can always call her and any of the other young associates up and be like, Hey, this is what I think the answer is. But I wanted to confirm with somebody before I call the client back and tell them or, you know, what have you, whatever the situation is. Um, So that was really great. And that's been an important message, I think, for, you know, through all of these interviews, if you will, right? It's just these conversations with you, with your peers, is that phone a friend, that mentorship program, that family haggard that is haggard and that you all feel really comfortable um, being able to lean on one another and know that there are people that have your back. Yeah, absolutely. That was, like I said, one of my biggest reasons for choosing an internship to begin with, especially one at a large practice. Uh, But Haggard is very good at it. I think most of us love having those mentor relationships, you know, as we progress in our careers, becoming mentors. Like now I, with most cases, feel fairly confident if the interns call me up and have a question, but there are still some times when I'm like, you need a more grown-up adult for this question, (laughs) maybe one of the specialists, but this is what I think it is confirmed with them, though. Um, But especially, you know, some of those more common cases that we see a lot of, I'm very comfortable passing on the things that I learned from others when I was in their shoes. I think the message there is the real takeaway is, is really knowing that, yes, you are a veterinarian, but you are a veterinarian that has so many other veterinarians around you, you know. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of, at least for me, can be a little, you know, was a little bit of a scary thing graduating. Um, and then even, you know, kind of going along, it's like the more you learn about the subject, the more you realize you don't know about a subject. Yes. And so, you know, learning that, you know, yes, you need to continue learning and growing as a veterinarian, but if you encounter something where you truly don't know the answer, it's okay to not know the answer as long as you're honest and seek out that answer. So you have something come up with a client and, you know, I've been very straightforward with, you know, I'm actually not sure what this is. Let me consult with my colleagues and get back to you. Um, See if maybe one of them have seen this or, you know, they know the answer better than I do. You don't graduate and know all the answers? A hundred percent. No, (laughs) a hundred percent. You do not. Um, but you will learn them as you go and will continue learning them throughout your career. I am sure that our more senior associates would also say that they're still learning things, even as much as I feel like they know everything and I can call them to ask them, they might still have a few things they don't know. (laughs) And, and even for, you know, the more senior veterinarians at Haggard that we have had on the podcast, they all say the same thing, you know, they, they all say the same thing. So it really is kind of teamwork makes the dream work. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's also really useful being at a big referral practice, because even though I'm in the field doing general practice, kind of the things that just come to mind when you think of an equine practitioner, um, we do have internal medicine specialists, we have an ophthalmologist, we have you know, reproductive specialists, theriogenologists, we have Mm -hmm. surgeons and they are a great resource and they're all always very helpful when you have those more complicated cases to consult, to come out and look at it with you or for you, even if it's something that maybe doesn't need to go to the clinic or maybe financially it's something where a client 
can't afford or doesn't want to spend the money to refer it to the clinic, they're always very helpful with those more difficult cases where you just need a little more advanced answer. So they are a great resource. And that is definitely one of the big bonuses of being based out of referral practice, even though I'm not a specialist myself. Right. Let's take a quick break to recognize our Spirit of Haggard podcast sponsor, Bimeda. Bimeda might be the biggest animal health company you've never heard of until now. Bimeda's products have been trusted by veterinarians and owners since the 1960s when our Irish roots began. Bimeda is one of the largest producers of dewormers like Equimax, Bimectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes also rely on polyglycan, a patented formula that replaces lost or damaged synovial fluid in Confidence X pheromone gel, which reduces and prevents equine stress. Consult your vet and visit buymediaus.com to see where to buy. Let's talk about, and so we've used a couple of terms, right? So you explain GP is general practice. You are an ambulatory or field care associate. Yes. So, so ambulatory or field care means that I travel to the client's either house, farm, if it's a boarding location, and I have a lot of equipment and medications on my vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so I will see horses in the field and treat them in the field. Um, sometimes refer them when appropriate if it's something that can't be managed in the field. But I really enjoy it. I see a very wide variety of things. Yeah. Uh, like we've alluded to, lots of reproduction, breeding mares, and taking care of both healthy and sick babies during the breeding season, but also do vaccines, wellness appointments, you know, uh, dental exams and flotations. I don't do a lot of lameness. I, uh, we have other people at the practice who are really good at lameness. So unless it's something that's very obvious, like an abscess that I can find and pair open, Uh, I will often refer those to those colleagues that just have that experience doing it. So they're just, there are things that I really enjoy. That's something they enjoy. So I'm happy to let them do it. Right. Yes. You know, also sick horses, emergencies like colics, chokes, lacerations are probably some of the most common ones we see, but we see a little bit of everything. Um, that's basically as a as a general practitioner, as an ambulatory equine veterinarian, the kinds of things that I do. So, what does it? What's your schedule? When do we start our day? What are what's our work hours and schedule? So, it can be a little bit different. I feel like in Lexington than maybe other parts of the country mm-hmm. and the world. Um, we're typically very busy during the breeding season. Yes. So you know, February through mid to late June, the rest of the time we'll often have a lot more free time. So during that busy season, we typically work seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, In the past, we were also on call that full time. Last year, they implemented a policy where we had a rotation and everybody got a night that they were not on call Basically, every six days, I could tell my clients, hey, I'm not on call tonight, you know, call the clinic or call this other person. And I could put my phone on Do Not Disturb and have a guaranteed good night's sleep, which which I think was a great, great step forward. And uh, this year we're taking or they're taking even more uh, steps towards that. So this year we're dividing our current plan is kind of dividing the field veterinarians into two groups and basically being on call for a week and off call for a week. Okay. So I think we are making those changes to make the breeding season a little bit more sustainable, Mm -hmm. um, especially as we face like a shortage of veterinarians and a lot of equine veterinarians, especially um, trying to make that both better work-life balance and more attractive for people to come and to stay. And so I think, you know, it takes a little bit of baby steps because a lot of our clients are used to the way things were done before. Yes. Um, But we're definitely working that way. And so during the breeding season, a day typically will start depending on what I have. For me, usually 
like seven to eight in the morning. Um, I have a handful of my own breeding clients currently that I will, you know, palpate the mares to Mm -hmm. determine time for breeding. Um, But a lot of what I do currently at the stage in my career is uh, foals and backup work for some of our more senior veterinarians who do the reproduction on the really big farms that have, you know, 50, 75, 100 plus mares to breed. Right. Um, so those large farms, it takes a village. Yes. So um, there are some vets in our practice who will do it all on their farms. And there are a lot who will kind of split up the work with the senior vet maybe focusing on the reproduction and having a more junior or younger associate that kind of does the backup and maybe does the full. So I do a lot of new full exams, a lot of taking care of sick foals. Um, I really, really enjoy working with the foals. They're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Right? And that's, you know, really, it, it just speaks to pursue that passion, you know, kind of finding, you know, your lane, if you will, or, or finding that specific segment of equine veterinary medicine that you really love and doing more of it when you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can definitely always focus on the things that you like. Like we said, I really like the foals. I don't mind doing a lot of full stuff and I don't mind letting the people who like doing lameness do their lameness stuff. Right. Um, so they're definitely, even if you're not a specialist, there's room to kind of focus your practice with what interests you. Okay. Um, and then also breeding sheds. Um, several of the large thoroughbred breeding farms will have veterinarians attend because the thoroughbreds require live cover mating for breeding. They don't allow any artificial insemination right. or advanced reproductive techniques. Um, so some of them like to have a veterinarian on hand in case something happens to be able to administer tranquilization to mares that are anxious. A lot of the maiden mares who haven't been bred before have no idea what's going on. They're in a new place. I don't blame them. (laughs) I would want something to take the edge off too. Um, And then, you know, some of our mares with foals can get a little anxious as well because typically the foals are left at the farm while the mare is brought to the breeding shed and then taken back. So sometimes they're, some of them are fine. And then some of them are very upset missing their baby. (laughs) Um, As well as in case of, you know, knock on wood, any accidents, I I think the worst I've had was a poor teaser stallion got kicked. He was okay, but he definitely appreciated some anti-inflammatories and pain medication. Right. The most important job on the farm, the unsung hero. Oh, the teasers. The the teasers. Their jobs are so important. Yes. (laughs) They, um, yeah, our teaser stallions are very appreciated. Yeah. Um, So that's a lot of what I do day to day um, during the breeding season that might be sprinkled in with, you know, I might still have some, you know, maybe backyard clients who call up and say, Hey, I need spring vaccines. And I fit that into my schedule wherever I can. Yes. Um, As well as, you know, covering emergencies at night. And it depends a little bit on the day, especially since I might not have a set schedule knowing how many, you know, mares need to be bred since I don't have as many that I do, you know, kind of just have a handful of clients that are using me for their repro work right now, but it's kind of hard to know until the morning of like, was there how many foals born last night? Or maybe there weren't any foals born last night. I get a little bit of a easy day, but then maybe people call in with, Oh, well this foal that was born yesterday has diarrhea now. Um, So in that sense, it can be very variable depending on what's going on. So I might be done by, you know, early to mid afternoon, or I have occasionally had days where, you know, I'm working all afternoon, I get blood work turned in, I have an evening breeding shed. And then while I'm at the breeding shed, I get blood work back. And one of the new foals had a low IgG. So a failure of passive transfer of antibodies from the mare's milk to the babies who are, have naive immune systems. And so I have to go give them plasma because yes. we don't want to wait till the next day. We want to make sure that they're um, have what they need to fight off any infection. So right. I might not get home till nine o'clock on those days. Yes. Um, do you do your own scheduling? 
Largely, yeah, we do have a dispatch service, but I find that during the breeding season, because so many of these clients, especially like the larger farms that I'm at on a daily or almost daily basis, I get very close to them. Sometimes I feel like I spend more time with them than I feel spend with my actual colleagues. Yes. Um, that is the one thing about ambulatory medicine. It can get a little lonely at times, but I do have phone buddies that I call in between farms if I don't have other calls I need to make. And we kind of talk about our day and yes. catch up. It just might not be face-to-face time. But it's typically easy. They have my number. I have their number. And we'll do some of that scheduling I will say for a lot of backyard clients who maybe just have one or two horses and I'm only out there a few times a year, I find it easier and prefer for um, those to go through dispatch. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we have talked a lot about kind of the journey and then a day in the life of of you, the equine ambulatory practitioner. One thing I'm going to go back to, we didn't talk about your experience at Kesmark. Right. And so I, uh, you know, as I mentioned, we haven't talked about Kesmark in any of our previous conversations, and that would have been a pretty important experience for your journey. Yes. That wasn't at a clinic. So tell us about Kesmark. Yeah, no, Kesmark was a wonderful, wonderful experience. As much as I sometimes hear my other colleagues who did do the undergraduate internships at Haggard talk about that experience and feel a little left out, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, Kesmark is based in Versailles, just outside of Lexington, and they do exactly what the name says. They provide um, sports medicine and rehabilitation Um, facilities for equine athletes who are on layup from an injury or recovering from a surgery, typically, especially like an orthopedic type surgery. Um, Kesmark is not a clinic. It doesn't have, say, a staff veterinarian, but there are many, many veterinarians who will refer cases to Kesmark, who come in and out of Kesmark, both reevaluating cases. So they have a a wide variety of veterinarians who are in and out of the facility. And so as someone who was wanting to go to vet school and do equine medicine, it was really interesting to see that variety of different veterinarians. I always tried as much as possible to get the job of being the one that was holding the horse for the procedure so that I could also observe the procedures going on. When I was there in 2014, they, I think at full capacity, we could have up to about 55 horses there. Yeah. And there were a couple of times it was full and they have an underwater treadmill. Mm-hmm. They have a swimming pool. They have a um, set into the ground, cold saltwater spa that if I remember correctly, the literature that they cited said that 15 minutes in having a horse stand in that cold water spa for, you know, hydrotherapy, ice therapy for any inflammation kept that leg cold for three hours after they had been in there. They also had a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, Mm -hmm. um, which was really great for uh, healing injuries Um, increasing oxygenation to improve like healing and the time it took to heal. And so it was really, really great to see that. And they had an on-site place for the interns to stay. So I lived right there, like next door to the hyperbaric chamber, actually. Yes. (laughs) And we, we worked six days a week. We'd usually start around 7, 7.30. And we would go in and we would check all of the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a crew that did feeding and did cleaning the stalls. So as an intern, that wasn't our responsibility. But we would go in, we would check all the horses, we would take everyone's temperature in the morning, make sure nobody had any fevers. Um, we would remove any leg wraps that had been on overnight. Um, we would, you know, feel, palpate each horse's legs, make sure nobody had any new or unexpected swellings or heat. And then we would administer any medications that needed to be given. You know, these were horses that are on layup. So there were a lot of them on, you know, pain medications. Some of them might have been on antibiotics for something. Um, A lot of them were on probiotics that we would give. Um, So then somebody would do that. And after that, it could be very variable. They um, had guys, crew members specifically, who 
Um, we're trained to do the swimming, to uh, you know, do the the treadmill, to do the oxygen chamber, but. We had a lot of horses who maybe got hand-walked. So as interns, hand-walking was our job. Any horses who needed wraps, like uh, standing bandages, sweat wraps, anything like that. We, um, you know, I didn't, had never wrapped a leg before I went to Kesmark. And I learned very well how to wrap a leg while I was there because we did a lot of it. By the time I left, I was very proud of my wrapping skills. And um, for the most part, usually I'm still very uh, happy with my bandaging skills. <laughs> um, yeah. And I credit that to Kesmark. To Kesmark, yes. Um, as well as we would when we had chiropractors coming or um, we would have people who would come and do laser and a lot of different alternative therapies like that to aid in healing. Uh, you know, we would be the ones who would hold the horses for those procedures Uh, We had an exercise rider as some of the horses graduated in their rehab program. Um, They might be introduced to light riding before they went home. And so it was usually someone's job, you know, somebody every day might be on getting the horses groomed and tacked up for the exercise rider to take them on their, you know, 10, 15 minute walk or a couple of them jogged. Usually by the time they were getting to trotting under saddle. They were probably ready to to go go home home and get back in a training program. Um, But it was just a very cool experience. I really loved it. I worked a lot with people there. Um, Victor Torres, one of their managers, actually wrote one of my letters of recommendation when I applied to veterinary school. It's a fascinating place. And that's why, you know, when you mentioned Kesmark, I think that, you know, our listeners deserve a little bit of a peek behind the curtain there because it really is unique. And so, you know, anyone that comes to visit Lexington can certainly see Kesmark and, you know, go on a tour over there and, and take a look at, you know, that facility and what all goes on there. So I imagine that's, I mean, I, I think that's a really unique part of your journey, you know, in becoming an equine veterinary. Yeah, it was a very unique. I was exposed to a wide variety of types of horses and disciplines. I would say probably the majority of them at the time were race horses, but there were a lot of performance horses, both dressage, show jumper, even some uh, of the Western disciplines. And it really improved my horse handling skills as well. I, you know, was used to lesson horses or like my uncle's Tennessee walking horses, which are typically very mild mannered. Yes. Very different from these, you know, off the track, laid up with an injury, raring to go, you know, three, four year old thoroughbred colts. Yes. Um, but I got to the point where I was very comfortable handling even them. Yeah. You know, kind of worked up to it Uh, when I first got there. You know, if I was handling a horse by myself, it was usually the more gentle horses. But as I got more experience with them, I definitely felt very comfortable. By the time I left, I was usually the one taking the aisle of the barn in the morning that had the colts and the stallions on it and, you know, going and taking their temperatures and checking their legs and, um, it was great for that experience as well, just really improving my horse handling abilities, which is very important. important. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, so important. And there's, uh, you know, that's probably something we don't talk about enough and being willing to learn, knowing that you can become an equine veterinarian and you may not have the greatest horse handling skills, especially as it relates to, to your point, a more fractious, hot-headed horse, you know, all of these different experiences that you're going to encounter, but just being willing to learn, taking those experiences like externships and internships that are going to open you up to, okay, this is a whole new set of circumstances and I have a lot to learn here. Absolutely. And, you know, like we said, I was always interested in horses and loved horses growing up, but we have people at our practice who I think it was a very late in their journey decision to do equine practice. And I think there are some of them who have maybe never ridden a horse. Right. Um, 
And so I think if you're not somebody who's grown up working with horses, but you have an interest in working with horses, that's always still an option. And just seek out those opportunities to be around horses so that you get to learn just basic handling and horse behavior. It's never too late to learn. So don't let that discourage you. Yeah, go try it. Yes. That's such great advice, right? (laughs) Because learning, even learning about the things that we don't want to do, what that's almost more important sometimes than being very specific about knowing exactly which path you want to pursue. So I want to ask very specifically, you know, you've talked a lot about your great experiences at Haggard. What do you love the most about working at Haggard, being a part of the Haggard family? Oh, man. Picking one thing is always difficult with that question. The people. I think the people, honestly. So many of us go into equine medicine or just veterinary medicine in general because we love animals, but there's always people attached with those animals. So (laughs) my colleagues at Haggard, both my fellow veterinarians, our support staff, you know, I don't have a technician, but I've met and worked with several of our other ambulatory doctors technicians, as well as We have great technicians in both our surgery and uh, medicine department. Uh, We could not do nearly the amount of referral work that we do without them because they are slammed during the breeding season with the sick babies. And they do such a great job taking care of them, as well as our office staff, our dispatch. I talk to them know, almost on a daily basis, multiple times a day. Whenever I'm at the clinic, I like to drop in and, you know, catch up, say, hey, you know, I'm done for the day. If you need me, let me know, or this is what I have next. So the people both there as well as the clients, I have so many clients that I absolutely adore and love working with. Like I said, many of them I see more commonly than I do a lot of my colleagues at Haggard. Right. So... So I think the, the people, people are my favorite part. Yes. That's that's always my why. It's the people, right? Like I love I love our listeners. I love, you know, these students that want to pursue careers in agriculture and equine, whether it's veterinary medicine or industry. So I I resonate with your answer and it is all about the people. So I always love to ask our guests if they have a standout day or a moment, so if our listeners were to say, what was your favorite day so far in being an equine veterinarian? Is there a, a particular example or two that come immediately to mind for you, Dr. Mm-hmm. Thomas? Yes, there is. And it was it was during my internship, so fairly early on. Um, and I don't know that I can say this is my absolute favorite day. I think it's hard to pick that, but this is just one that always will always stick out in my memory. Earlier that day, I had been meeting another one of our doctors, Dr. Caitlin Fletcher, who I mentioned earlier, at a farm. And I was just there to get more experience with foals. And I got to the farm a few minutes before them and they come out and they're like, hey, the mayor is over here. And I'm like, what what mayor? And they're like, oh, we have a mayor that's hemorrhaging. I was like, ooh, yeah, I'll come and, you know, I was just waiting in my car till Dr. Fletcher got there because I thought we were doing routine things and I hadn't gotten the memo yet that there was an emergency to be seen first. So I was like, absolutely. I grab my stuff. I go start examining the mayor. Dr. Fletcher gets there. We assess her. We, you know, place an IV catheter, you know, run um, fluids, any medications that she needed to help control that hemorrhaging. And she was doing really well by the time we left the farm. Um, at that point, seemed fairly mild. And then later in the afternoon, I get a call from Dr. Fletcher saying, hey, that mare that we saw earlier is doing very poorly now. They're really worried about her. I think she was like at least 45 minutes to an hour out. And I was pretty close. Like, I think I was about 10 minutes from. Okay. 10 to, I was pretty close to the farm. So I got there significantly ahead of her. And I was on the phone with her, you know, discussing plan and what we would do. And I got there and the mare was in very poor condition. Um, you know, it was really close for a while there if the mare was going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, you know, did our emergency resuscitation fluids. Uh, we even ended up doing a blood transfusion in the field. Wow. Um, we got blood from one of their teaser stallions. Again, the teasers are the unsung heroes of the <laughs> yes. farms. Um, <laughs> got blood from one of the uh, their teaser stallions and were able to give her the the blood and she stabilized and she survived. And um, that's one of Dr. Fletcher's clients. But uh, last I heard, which I think fairly recently, that mayor is still, 
doing well. So she she got there after I had started everything that evening. And so she stayed with the mayor administering more fluids and pain medications while I went with their assistant brood manager at the time to the teaser stallion was actually at an annex location that was just down the, the street. And it was she and I collecting blood from this teaser stallion. And at the annex, they didn't have any barns that didn't have mares in the stalls. And we were a little concerned that he might get excited around the mares because that's his job. So, but he was very mild mannered. We were able to collect the blood just standing in the field. Um, I think we have a picture of that. There were four bags um, that we filled with blood and I was wearing my coveralls that I wear like during the springtime. And so as I would finish like filling one bag and like swap it to the other, I was just like stuffing them in my coveralls. So it's like (laughs) a picture of me like holding the one bag that we're getting blood in and I have like other bags of blood like from my coveralls and I'm kind of rocking back and forth to keep (laughs) agitating the blood so that it mixes with the anticoagulant. And um, it was just a very intense experience. Yes. Um, But it was a very good one, especially to be as an intern working through with a more experienced veterinarian. And that one just really always sticks out to me as such a cool experience because we were able to save her. Yes. Um, I haven't needed fortunately, to do a blood transfusion in the field since then. But I know that if I ever have to do one by myself, I've done one before, so I know right. how to do it. That, I think, was one of my coolest experiences that yeah. I've had. I love that you use the word intense, right? Because yes. there are so many intense moments, and then those can later become the most rewarding. And Absolutely. the memories that you have and that you're able to share Though that's where your confidence comes from, right? It is. It truly is practicing veterinary medicine. Absolutely. So every day you're practicing something new. Yes. And then, you know, you've got not only memories, but the confidence to just, you know, continue providing better care every experience that you're able to go through. Absolutely. I think every experience I learn and grow from as a practitioner I was warned starting because I remember being a little nervous that there's, especially the first five years of practice, a bit of a steep learning curve. Because like we said, you do not graduate knowing everything. Um, But I'm still a little bit in that learning curve, but I think I'm getting a little bit higher on it um, because I just find that, you know, with each year of practice, I'm more and more confident. I've seen more and... um, you know, every experience you have, you're like, okay, I've seen this. I can do it. Well, and you mentioned, and it's so funny, we, we must be on the same page here, but you mentioned that five-year mark. Yes. It's so important. Okay. So you have been a DVM for how many years? Uh, about three and a half now. Okay. So you are approaching that five-year mark. And I think that I really want our listeners to hear and understand that is such a critical point in, in our industry right now that we are seeing so much loss of our equine veterinarians in that first five years of practice where they're either leaving veterinary medicine altogether or they're leaving equine veterinary, veterinary medicine to pursue companion animal careers. So where are you at three and a half years into this? How much do you love equine veterinary medicine? I love equine veterinary medicine. I am still very firmly committed to it. I will not lie. There is always, especially when you have a tough day, a little bit of that appeal to think about, I could potentially make more money and work less hours and not even have to see emergencies in small animal general practice. But it's those rewarding cases and it's all the people that we work with that for me, I just can't imagine myself doing anything else. I love that. And I think that, you know, some of the story that you have given of your journey is exactly that. It's there are going to be challenging days. There are going to be hard times and you've got to have a crew. You've got to, you know, it's what I call heroes. I've probably said that on a couple other episodes, (laughs) right? Who are the heroes in my life that I know are going to celebrate when I'm on the mountaintop, but are also going to be the be right there when you're going through those valleys? And again, I'll repeat things that I, I repeat often. The days can seem long. The years are short, 
right? And so being able to, you know, continue on and look forward and know there's a brighter day ahead. There's a brighter day tomorrow. Absolutely. The days are long, but the years can be short because there have definitely been some very long days. There are some pretty short days. I think I didn't get a chance to say earlier, but during the off season, especially like November, December, uh, as a field doctor at Haggard, especially who doesn't do, you know, say like the lameness type of things, I can have some very slow days. Occasionally, I might even have a day where I have nothing scheduled. So that does really make up for all of the time that we spend during the breeding season. Right. I love that. Well, and and I know we could talk all day. (laughs) And I hope that our listeners enjoyed as much as I did getting to know more about you and your journey. Um, I am passionate about this early career and that transition from student to professional. So Thank you so much, Dr. Thomas, for sharing your story. And is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners uh, before we depart today? It was great talking to you. This has been a great experience doing this podcast. Uh, I do enjoy giving back that advice that I've learned over the years to um, other young veterinarians and aspiring veterinarians. And so I think the biggest piece of advice I would give is that if this is what you think you want to do, just keep going for it just as doggedly as you can and get in as much experience as you can. So you can really hone in on what you do and what you don't want to do. And um, yeah, it'll, it'll all work out how it's supposed to in the end. You should, I think, end up where you're meant to be. Even if that takes hopping around a little bit, it's different for everyone. But I think if this is something you're even interested in, I think getting that experience and coming and learning about it, you can visit us uh, with an externship, um, is just a great way to learn more about the industry and learn more about what you want to do yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, I appreciate it. I know the, the Haggard team appreciates you as does our listeners. So with that, folks, we will sign off on another episode of The Spirit of Haggard by saying cheers. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Spirit of Haggard podcast today, sponsored by Bymeda. I'm your host, Jody Lynch Findlay, speaker and podcaster. You can connect with me at jodyspeakslife.com.